Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. Let's talk about the overdose death rate in the province now. The number of drug overdose fatalities continues to soar. 206 deaths in the month of April, nearly seven a day. So the daily death count going up, this is despite steps government has taken that we're supposed to reduce the death count, including decriminalizing drug possession to convince more people to get treatment. Safe supply of drugs. These are laboratory-tested opioid drugs provided free by the government so people do not take poisoned street drugs instead doesn't appear to be working got eleanor sterko standing by to discuss let's have a listen to this report global news reporter paul johnson information on what is working and what might not be another month and another tragic milestone in bc's drug overdose epidemic the coroner's service reported Thursday that a record 206 British Columbians died in April, almost seven a day, a 17% increase from April of last year, bringing the year-to-date total to 814. All right, let's discuss now with my guest Eleanor Sturko, BC United MLA. Eleanor represents Surrey South in the legislature. She's a former police officer. Eleanor, thank you for coming on. Thanks, Mike, for having me. Okay, I, I always appreciate your time. So let's talk about these sh- shocking numbers. I guess these numbers are not shocking anymore as we continue to see them, but we continue to see the death count going up here on a daily average. What your thoughts on it? Well, you know, to me it, it is shocking to have, again, not only one of the deadliest months ever in British Columbia, but, you know, 17% increase over the same period of time last year is actually dramatic. It's very dramatic. And I think the shocking part of it is is that the government continues just seem to be doing the exact same thing over and over and expecting different results, which yeah. is, that is actually the shocking and, and unacceptable part of it. What are, what are some of the measures that government is implementing that you think are, are, not, are clearly not working, but they, keep seem, they seem to keep doubling down on them? Well, it's not so much that, um, you know, well, how would I say, you know, there's evidence that, that there are certain things that are working that potentially they're not doing enough of. We know that we need more detox beds and they've announced that they want to increase detox, but it's not happening fast enough. You would think that we would see things moving a lot more quickly given the fact that we're in a a public health emergency and we saw how quickly things can can move during uh, the COVID pandemic, for example. People were, you know, it seemed like they were setting up vaccination clinics and, and having things happen overnight. Whereas we need detox beds for people, we need safe places for people to go. And it takes months and months. Oftentimes things are delayed, announcements are made, and the rollouts are planned for periods of time like over three years. How many people will be dead in a time period of three years? You just imagine that. And so where is the urgency that this government really should be acting with when it comes to losing seven people a day to what are largely preventable deaths? What about decriminalization of drug possession? This has been the law in British Columbia for several months now. The 2.5 grams, the legal possession limit for fentanyl, heroin, crack cocaine. Is this a mistake? 
Well, here's what I would say on that is that the government has been obligated as part of their um, agreement with the federal government to provide data on how it's going, publicly facing results of what is happening. That data is not available. There's no available baseline data for the public to see what was even the starting point of this program and what's been happening even in these several months. Like knowing that it's so critical for us to see how results are going and seemingly we're seeing the deaths going up. It's disturbing to me that we would have such little publicly facing information for the public to see. And it seems like, you know, how can we even tell what the government's measuring at all? They're certainly not measuring what's working. Um, And that's what's so frustrating for me, I think, is that, you know, um, if the government was looking not only at the number of people dying, but what has helped people recover? What is helping people get better? What is actually working to stabilize people? And then let's invest in those services. If it's more detox, let's immediately open more detox beds. Let's immediately provide access to people to the services they need. This is what we should be doing instead of just throwing stuff to the wall and trying to see what sticks and keep doing the same thing over and over again. It's ridiculous. The the idea of decriminalization was to remove the stigma of drug use and that that in turn would convince more people to come forward and openly discuss the the problems they have and hopefully get get treatment and you and i've discussed before like you are not you are not opposed to decriminalization but you're saying that they haven't brought in the necessary uh safeguards along with decrim right including expanded treatment options for people who do want to get clean that's right that's exactly yeah. you hit the nail on the head because you know if this is uh, an, a, a test to see whether or not sort of reducing the stigma or the fear of people being arrested for possession of drugs which honestly is, is kind of bizarre to me because we weren't necessarily in this province anyway focused on Um, arresting people for drug possession in Canada, you wouldn't go to a doctor's office, admit that you had drug use and then have the police call on you. That wasn't something that would happen. Uh, If we're looking to change attitudes, I would say that the attitude of understanding addiction to be an illness is largely accepted by the public. And yet we don't seem to see the numbers going down. Um, And there have already been, you know, unintended consequences of decriminalization, people, um, you know, feeling that their parks and playgrounds have become unsafe, drug use in the doorways of businesses and apartment buildings, and seemingly not a lot of options for uh, police to have these individuals moved on. There is no provincial statute governing the use of drugs in public. So, you know, um, the government was obligated to monitor for unintended consequences, not suggested. This is an obligation of this government to monitor for unintended consequences. We have cities reporting the unintended consequences, street chaos, the inability for enforcement officers to take action against public drug use, and um, it needs to be rectified by this premier ASAP. Yeah, I spoke to the mayor of Kelowna on the show this week who described open drug use in parks, playgrounds, in businesses on the downtown streets of Kelowna, and he described what you just said. He said he's, his local police are telling him that they're frustrated because they they feel powerless to do anything about it because of the the decriminalization part of it. Do you think, like David Eby, I've been listening very closely to what he's been saying here the past week, and he seems almost on a daily basis now to be suggesting or hinting that changes are coming. 
on this? Like, what do you want to see? You, you want to see a clear, like, banned list? You can't use drugs in, in public? Is that what you want? Or Well, what, you know what? what? I actually, I actually uh, looked into drafting um, legislation. What would that look like? Looking at other forms of legislation that already exist within British Columbia. For example, the Cannabis Act of British Columbia, the BC Liquor Act, and the um, Tobacco and Vapors Act of British Columbia. You know, and even when you look at things like cigarette smoking, you can't smoke within like 20 feet of a building. So why couldn't we have, um, you know, that kind of uh, provincial statute built around drug use of drugs that are now decriminalized? Um, Why is it necessary to have um, allow drug use in playgrounds, for example? And I understand the argument of, of like the chief coroner and other advocates for allowing people to use drugs wherever the heck they want, which, you know, I certainly our position isn't that we want to drive people underground. That's silly. Of course, we don't want to harm people. But why is it necessary that every place be a place where open drug use is? Why can't we protect some of our communities to make them safe places for children and families and other people who want to be away from open drug use. It doesn't mean that we're preventing people from from going and and using drugs in other places, but I think there should be some places, some family and, and community places where people can have a place where that they're not confronted with uh, drug use. And I don't think that that's an unreasonable request and an expectation by the public. Um, And I I think that the counter argument that you often get, you know, I'm sure that you are interested to hear my take on safe supply. And I've been receiving a lot of feedback and people say you're either for these things or you're pro death for some reason. You know, I'm a ghoulish person because I'm asking questions and that's not the case at all. I think that there can be a balance between compassion, the will um, to protect the community and provide safe places and also not wanting to drive people uh, into hiding or to, to cause more overdoses. Certainly that's not um, our objective. Our objective would be to have safe places for families and children, especially uh, to protect them from any unintended consequences of having um, any type of drug residue or needles or, or anything like that left over in a playground or, or someone acting erratically in a place where children would be playing, but also guiding people towards services. You know, yes. Even if you have a provincial statute, it doesn't mean you have to find people and start issuing tickets, but it gives police the authority and bylaw officers or peace officers, however it's def- defined in that statute, the authority to ask that person to leave and the authority to take action and the authority to set limitations to what people can and can't do. You can't camp. Well, normally you can't camp in a playground or you can't be in certain provincial parks after hours. They close the gates. There are rules that we have in our communities for safety and to help protect places that are, um, you know, natural resources for us. So, you know, why is it unreasonable that we would think that we would have a provincial statute, a provincial legislation like the Cannabis Act, for example, that would help people feel safe coming in and out of businesses, help people feel safe coming in and out of their homes by setting, for example, a 15 foot, you know, clear zone from drug use and and making sure that people aren't, you know, using in a playground. That's not unreasonable. Yeah, no, to me, it seems like a no brainer that should have been brought in right at the at the start and i actually don't understand the continuing delay on on getting this done as you've got so many communities now asking for for these type of changes 
Okay, we continued talking about the soaring drug overdose death rate in our province. 206 deaths last month, nearly seven a day. So we've talked about some of these steps government has taken, including decriminalization of drug possession. Let's talk now about safe supply. So this is the laboratory-tested opioid drugs provided by government to people who are using so they don't die from a street drug overdose death. My guest is Eleanor Sturko, BC United, MLA. Eleanor, let me play a clip here for you from Jennifer Charlesworth, BC's representative for children and youth, who supports the Safe Supply program and actually thinks it should be expanded. Let's have a listen and I'll get your thoughts. We have to be open to the notion of a prescribed safer supply and, frankly, a non-prescribed safer supply. For some young people, they're not going to go to a pharmacist. They don't have access to the doctor. Okay, so she says that maybe you should be able to get these drugs even without a prescription, and maybe young people should have access to them. Eleanor Sterko, your thoughts? Well, um, a non-prescribed model of safe supply was rejected by the Select Standing Committee on Health. Um, And there are still a lot of unknowns about what the outcomes of the safe supply program are going to be. Um, You know, I've been contacted, as you know, and and this has been, you know, stressful for me because it's difficult when people aren't willing to go come forward. But uh, multiple doctors, I can tell you more than half a dozen doctors have reached out to me in the past couple of weeks to tell me about the things that they're seeing, um, which may be unintended consequences of the safe supply program specifically related to hydromorphone. So there's actually other substances that um, can be prescribed to people who are in safe supply programs. There's fentanyl patches, there's there's other things, but specifically related to Dilaudid, so hydromorphone, they've been talking to me about um, some of the things that they're seeing as what they believe to be the consequence of the diversion of those drugs. Um, You know, I haven't in any of this been telling them that they need to stop the program. But what I'm asking and what I'm urging Premier Eby to do, and I'm sure that his uh, communications people will hear this or at least read it on the TNO later. Please implement stricter monitoring to find out the end user of these prescribed opioids, because even though the program is called Safe Supply, the reality is, is that these are publicly supplied addictive drugs. Uh, even dilaudid, so hydromorphone, is a powerful, very powerful opioid that you can, in fact, become addicted to. People can, in fact, overdose from it. And um, from what I'm learning about opioids, I'm learning a lot, um, that you can, uh, you know, it can become not enough for you and that there are times in which people will start off by taking dillies that maybe they got on the street and as their resistance to that opioid increases, they start either increasing their dose of hydromorphone or when it's no longer helping them achieve the high that they need, they will graduate to other substances, including fentanyl. And so we, what I'm really asking for, I'm not here to make clinical decisions. I'm not a doctor. I'm just, you know, retired police officer. I'm a, you know, MLA. But what I'm asking for on behalf of the public of British Columbia is monitoring of what is happening and is a diversion creating unintended consequences, particularly among youth who are using drugs. And the reason why I'm asking for that is because of these addictions specialists. These aren't GPs that are contacting me. Addiction specialists, many of them working with youth through some of our provincially funded programs, some of them working in health authorities in addictions programs, some of them who are very actually well-known doctors who I cannot 
um, out them because they fear reprisal so strongly. But they are asking me to please advocate for this monitoring, for follow-up to make sure that there are no unintended consequences because they're seeing youth using diverted Dilaudid from the streets, becoming addicted. And, sir, go ahead. Eleanor, just we just have one minute left. I think you're raising extremely important points. Like, for in terms of monitoring how these drugs are used or where they end up, because this is the concern if they're ending up in the in the hands of kids. How do you do that? Like, if you give someone a prescription drug, how are you supposed to make sure they take the drug and they take it properly? We only got thirty seconds, though. Well, there's lots of different ideas that I've heard from doctors. One of them being a witnessed consumption. Um, you know, and and just making sure that they're periodically testing to ensure that their clients are using those drugs and not mm. selling them and using something else. But but witness consumption is things that they do in other jurisdictions. Like I, I said, I'm not a doctor. These are yeah. things that need to be figured out. But where I have people blowing the whistle that there may be unintended consequences, it is my duty to British Columbians to bring that forward, even if I get flagged for it. You know what? I'm committed okay. to doing that. David Eby, do the right thing and monitor this program. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you so much. Anytime, Mike. All right, let's talk about your health and nutrition now, uh, especially the foods and drinks you should avoid in the grocery store aisle. All the hidden ingredients in highly processed foods that are not good for you, especially if they're loaded with sugar or sodium or chemicals. My guest is Jake Crossman. Jake is a holistic nutritionist. USAMedicalShop.com is his website, and Jake is very popular across social media. He's got over a million followers on all the various social media platforms, including YouTube and TikTok. Very pleased to welcome him. Jake, thanks a lot for coming on today. Mike, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you, you bet. I appreciate you taking the time. So let me play. Let's let's start, Jake, play one of your TikToks here. Some of these have gone absolutely viral here. So this is one that jumped out at me. This is, <laughs> this is a, a video of you in the grocery store aisle in the ketchup aisle here. And have a listen to what Jake has to say about uh, the ketchup brand he selects here. Let's listen. Never buy Heinz tomato ketchup. This is sugar paste. Look, with four grams of added sugar per tablespoon, this is sugar paste. Non-organic tomatoes, it's just red sugar. If you actually want good ketchup, get a no sugar added ketchup. But if you try this and don't like it, you don't like ketchup, you like sugar. Ditch the ketchup, try mustard or hot sauce or something else. Okay, okay, Heinz ketchup. Okay, Jake. Let's talk yeah. about the ketchup here because I'm, you know, I got the Heinz ketchup at home in my fridge, yeah. like uh, probably a ton of people listening to the show right now. But I, I, I was interested in your descriptor there. You say, you say it's not ketchup, it's sugar paste. Tell me, tell yeah. me all about that. You know, I, there's nothing wrong with enjoying things in moderation. A lot of my videos have to be very intense and inflammatory to get, you know, viewership <laughs> and, you know, get yeah. people to watch it. But I do believe that, you know, Ketchup, the ketchup we all eat, is just sugar, right? And if you look at it, it really is just sugar. Now, there's lots of other options. Heinz has an organic, no sugar added. There's other options. But the the point of the video was to show show you that, listen, if you try no sugar ketchup and you don't like it, you don't actually like ketchup, right? You like sugar, which is most of us. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, some people might be surprised at how much sugar is in there because when you think about Mm -hmm. if you're putting, you know, some ketchup on your scrambled eggs or your french mm-hmm. fries or your hot dog you don't think you're loading sugar on there but there's a ton of sugar mm-hmm. in there yeah it's way more than we even think like i said four tables or um four grams per tablespoon is it ends up being wow. quite a bit the more you add 
Yeah, that, that's a lot. And But there's tomatoes in there too, right? Isn't that healthy? <laughs> there's, you know, <laughs> barely tomatoes in there. You know, after all the processing and the heating and the everything that goes into it, it just ends up being not very nutritionally uh, sound at the end of the whole thing. Okay, and then you mentioned in that video there, you know, try... Try something else instead. Try some hot sauce yeah. or try try some mustard. Why is that better? So hot sauce is actually awesome. The capsaicin in it uh, increases our metabolism. It helps you burn extra calories, burn extra fat. So adding hot sauce to your meal will actually help you digest things easier. I love hot sauce. And then mustard at least has some good properties to it. It has stuff for your skin like vitamin E, selenium, some other good um, vitamins and minerals. So at least mustard has some like actual nutrition behind it. And the hot sauce has the capsaicin. But in my opinion, like ketchup really just has zero nutritional value. Okay, I've already got my producers uh, weighing in here and sending me some messages here, Jake. So my producer Tim says I'll always buy Heinz ketchup. Go ahead, go ahead and fight me. Um, and that's it, fine. I think yeah. everyone should buy what they want to buy and enjoy. And the whole point was just moderation, right? Being aware yeah. that there's a lot of sugar in this stuff. Yeah, right. Just be aware of what's in there. And my, my other mm-hmm. other producer Layla here is saying, well, she she typically doesn't check the ingredient list on on stuff in the grocery store. Do you think more people should do that? I think most of us have no idea what's going into our bodies on a regular basis. We just buy the things that we have always bought and eat them and don't really realize what's in it. So, yeah, I think we should definitely read labels. Yeah. Okay, here's another one. Let's listen to another one. This is another one jumped out at me on Desani Mm -hmm. Desani Water. Who owns that company, Desani? Coca-Cola. That's what I thought. I thought, okay, Mm -hmm. this is is a big Coca-Cola company here. So Desani Water. So let's listen to a bit of your TikTok here on Desani Water. Do not buy Dasani. Look, any water that says purified water means it has no minerals and no electrolytes. And the point of water is to carry minerals into your body. So if it's purified, it's going to extract the minerals from your body and dehydrate you. Okay, that one really jumped out at me because you'd think the word purified would be something that's good for you. Right. Yeah, I think we've, you know, terminology has is difficult now. We have all these different terms you know, floating around. Purified sounds good, but the thing, like I just said, water is supposed to carry minerals and electrolytes into your body and then help remove toxins from your body, right? It's kind of the goal of water. It's always carrying something. So if water is not carrying anything, it's not doing anything, and it will actually dehydrate you because I, the way that osmosis works is it will literally want to equalize itself in your body and extract good minerals minerals from your body. So making sure you drink a spring water or a mineral water is essential for the actual proper hydration that we need. Okay. So a spring water or a mineral water is more like, how would you describe it? Is more natural? It has the stuff so, still in it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're looking at total dissolved solids, um, TDS. That is the yeah. measure of how many minerals and electrolytes and different things in the water. Something like Saratoga or San Pellegrino or Fiji is going to have a lot more total dissolved solids. So the, you know, the different minerals like and, and electrolytes like calcium, potassium, magnesium in it versus a Purify, which will have almost nothing in it. Right. What do you think of some of the other sort of popular drinks out there, whether it's soft drinks, uh, you know, soda, pop, mm-hmm. uh, or ener- energy drinks, super popular now, right? What do you think of those drinks? 
Right. I mean, they're just loaded with sugar and things that we yeah. don't actually need. I mean, even things that we think are healthy, like apple juice and fruit juice, it's pretty much just sugar with a little bit of added vitamin C. Um, soda in general is just uh, there's no world where I could say it's good for us. I mean, um, you know, all things in moderation are, are pretty much OK. But, you know, I don't drink any soda. I don't really drink any juice. I like tea and I like sparkling mm -hmm. water. Mm -hmm. Okay. What about, let's talk about the bread aisle. This was another, mm -hmm. another one of your TikToks that jumped out at me. <laughs> I think he sure. said like <laughs> the bread aisle is a nightmare. It's like a living uh, hell. To... So tell me <laughs> what's wrong with like these mass marketed, you know, the loaf of bread, like the loaf of wonder bread or whatever you get in your grocery store. What's wrong with that stuff? Right. It's it's the added oils that people don't realize are in there, you know, and there's a huge debate on whether or not these oils are actually bad for us. And, you know, I live on the side of, you know, seed oils, canola oil. This stuff is not generally healthy for us. If if we can all agree that it's not necessarily healthy to fry foods and put oils into our body, that's a pretty good starting point. Um, but these breads contain soybean oil and, you know, seed oils like canola oil and vegetable oil, which at, at the start doesn't sound too bad. But when you look at the inflammation that uh, omega-6 is, from seed oils can cause in our bodies and you look at the potential for oxidative damage and you know free radical damage from these oils it just it, it, it builds a case against these mass-produced bread especially because people eat them so frequently right with sandwiches and meals and everything so sure. i'm just a little anti-mass-produced bread at this point right but i remember in that particular video you did say look mm -hmm. if you're going to make a, ch a bread choice in the grocery store i think you had a couple of suggestions yeah, there yeah, like yeah, sour yeah. sourdough was one sourdough. is that right yeah. most most sourdough breads uh, if you can find in the store it, it will only be like water yeast and wheat that's you that's the best bread right so if you can find an ingredient label that just says those three things that's killer grab it um there's some other great bread options but in general the mass-produced stuff is just full, you know full of oils and, and other kinds of additives right. what would you say are, are one of the one or two of the most other common things that people will eat a lot or they will buy or at the grocery mm -hmm. store they will eat it and drink it on a regular basis that you think is bad for you like that people should be cautious about or reduce yeah, I mean, I think yogurt is something that we all think is super duper healthy for us. And there's some great yogurt options. I mean, I drink um, kefir, which is plain yeah. um, fermented yogurt. I, I like, you know, organic plain Greek yogurt is good. But the the Greek yogurt at the store that, ha you know, flavored like vanilla or blueberries or, you know, the the key lime pie yogurt, like it's not good for you. There's <laughs> there's very little redeemable qualities to it. it Maybe a little bit of probiotics and a little bit of um, protein in there. But the amount of sugar they're adding is still going to be a problem so i think yeah. yogurt is one of those things that people think is like oh i'm so healthy i'm eating yogurt for for lunch it's like well it's not that great yeah and it's sort of in the category of the ketchup then too is it like mm -hmm. is sugar the enemy yeah i mean listen sugar is the thing that we are all the most addicted to and the thing that we all crave constantly right so it, I, i'm not going to label it the enemy but it's definitely one of our our uh, uh habits that could probably be modified for the best okay all right, welcome back. My guest is nutritionist Jake Crossman. Lots of calls coming in. Let me go quickly to producer Tim French. Hey, Tim, tell me your story there. Yeah, so a couple years ago, I worked a warehouse job, and I thought that to sort of get my energy up so I could work the long shifts at this hot warehouse, that I would drink uh, two uh, sport drinks per day. And I didn't realize it at the time because I thought it was going to give me energy and because it, it said, oh, lots of vitamin C, lots of uh, antioxidants. But then it also contained like 34 grams of sugar, 32 grams of sugar. And so when I cut those out, I lost 30 pounds.
30 pounds. Well, like in Powerade, right? Yeah, that's Powerade. What was the other one you were drinking there? Uh, vitamin water. That was one of the other culprits. V- vitamin water. Jake, what do you think of that? Powerade and vitamin water. Yeah, I mean, they both taste good, right? But, I mean, yeah. that's kind of the only thing they're, they're good for. Um, even the vitamins they have in them, you really can't absorb most of them, and you end up uh, sending most of those down the toilet. So, yeah, not good, not very good drinks. Okay, let's go to your phone calls. Uh, by the way, Tim, congratulations on losing that weight, man. That's pretty Absolutely. awesome. that's amazing. Yeah, that is great. Let's go to the phone calls. Siobhan in Vancouver. Hi, Siobhan. Go ahead. Good morning, Mike and Jake. I've uh, lost 125 pounds using Ozempic and one meal a day. And I'm wondering about the healthiness of one meal a day. And the second part of my question is, my six-year-old granddaughter survives primarily on KB and chicken nuggets. I try to include uh, fresh fruit and vegetables with most of her meals. I'm just wondering also about that. I'll hang up and listen so to you. you. Hang, well, hang on, hang on a sec, Siobhan. Yes, so you only eat one meal a day? Dinner, yeah. Dinner. What do you eat for dinner? I usually make sure there's a protein, a starch, and a vegetable with my dinner. I will admit that in the evenings, I sometimes get hungry after dinner, and that's a uh, uh, throwback from my old eating habits, and I give in to that at times. Mm-hmm. But I try to stay between twelve and 1,400 calories uh, for my oh. daily intake. And uh, okay. yeah, it's, it's about two years. And um, Ozempic is a miracle drug, I have to tell you. Okay, so thank you, Siobhan, for the call. Jake, what do you think of that? Yeah, so that's actually like a really serious intermittent fasting diet. Um, You know, think about ancient humans, right? They would go out and they'd hunt all day long looking for their meal. And they'd finally get that meal. They'd bring it back to the tribe and they'd cook it and everyone would feast once at nighttime. So that's actually a very... uh, uh, old school way of eating where you don't eat all day. You basically just go find your food, get your food, and you have one big meal with the friends and the families. That's, I mean, that's a, a very doable diet and a really uh, impress, impressive intermittent fasting window. What, what about that Ozempic, though? What do you think of that? I don't like to talk about medications too much. I'm pretty anti, yeah. you know, any kind of medication for diet or for, um, you know, that kind of stuff. I think yeah. most of, of what we can do is eat healthy and exercise, and most problems will melt away. But that's just right. my personal opinion. Right. Meredith in Vancouver. Hi, Meredith. Go ahead. Hi there. Um, Yeah, I cut out sugar mostly, but I don't understand what happens to it. I know the brain needs a lot of glucose. Everything breaks down to that. But why is sugar so bad compared to Mm -hmm. fructose or something, you know? It's a great question. Go ahead, Jake. Yeah. Really quickly, um, it's the refined sugar. So sucrose is refined sugar. That's a it's a combination of one fructose, one glucose molecule, and that's what we make as this white refined sugar. Our bodies have a much harder time using it, and it also creates inflammation in the body. So natural sugars like fructose from fruit, it's awesome. I mean, I, there's no amount of fruit you could say that's probably it's too much fruit in my opinion. Your body loves eating fruit. It loves the sugars from fruit. It loves the carbs from fruit. Um, and and yeah, carbohydrates are not bad in in general. What's bad is this refined processed sugar. Right. And then obviously way too many carbohydrates can become bad. But in general, they're not bad for you. Squeeze in another call. Anne in South Surrey. Hi, Anne. Go ahead. Yes. Hi. I would like to ask about Cobb's bread. You spoke of bread. Is Cobb's bread any better than any of the others? Cobb's what bread? Is like that? Cobb's, right? Cobb's bread, yes. Co- Cobb's is, is a popular bakery chain here. Jake, so it's like fresh baked bread. We just got a minute left, though. 
Yeah, unfortunately, I'm not too familiar with it. Um, I would just ask the ingredients, and if the ingredients are pretty natural and organic, I would say it's probably fine. What ingredients? Okay, so let's say you're going to a bakery to mm-hmm. buy fresh baked pr- bread products. Like, what ingredients should you be looking for? Is like desirable? Wheat, yeast, and water are the best. I mean, that's kind of how right. we've always made bread. Wheat, wheat, yeast, and water. And what is the stuff that you should avoid? You know, when you see the soybean oil, when you see the, you know, uh, um, the different oils like canola oil, vegetable oil, and then there's always like fortified breads that have lots of vitamins added to it. To me, those are, it's kind of weird that we're adding so much to the bread, but in in general, it's the oils that I have the biggest problem with. Jake, congrats on all your success, man. That's a lot of social media followers you got there and a lot of viral videos. And thanks for coming on today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate you. Okay, thank you. Jake Crossman there. Jake is a holistic nutritionist. His website is usamedicalshop.com. Check out some of his videos are pretty viral on YouTube and TikTok, which is where I've discovered his stuff. Good morning to you. This is Mike Smith. We've got an awesome Friday morning show for you today. Yes, we do have the bear guy on the show today. Kevin Milner, the North Van man who was riding his bike and slammed into a black bear. This story has gone viral around the world. This poor guy got messed up by this bear. He slammed into it full speed. Have a listen to him here as Kevin Milner. He just pulled right in front of me and I, I caught him right behind the shoulder blades. And uh, I, I launched over top of him. Yeah, he'll tell the whole story today. This is just wild. And this guy, he got messed up really bad by this bear. He's got cuts, scrapes, bruises, road rash, broken shoulder blade, cardiac contusion, which he explained to me yesterday. I chatted him to him briefly on the phone yesterday. Explained to me is like a bruised heart. When he went flying over his handlebars, he slammed into this bear. Good news is he's expected to make a full recovery. So he is on the show today. He'll tell the whole crazy story. We have lots more on the show today, but we start with the stresses and strains on our healthcare system. We saw doctors speaking out this week, Surrey Memorial Hospital, about the state of the emergency room there. Saw a report out of BC Children's Hospital, delayed pediatric surgery, and we saw the extraordinary step here of the BC government sending cancer patients to Washington State for treatment because of the wait times here. Let's discuss it all with my guest now, Dr. Kevin McLeod, Lionsgate Hospital. Very pleased to welcome him back. Kevin, thanks a lot for coming on today. Mike, anytime. Um, a cardiac contusion is a big deal, right? It's the, if you if you hit your chest really hard, you, you I mean you kind of bruise up the heart, or you you affect that muscle, and um, sometimes it impacts that muscle function. It sets you up for arrhythmias and other things. So it's a it's a big deal to have a cardiac contusion. So he he hit that bear pretty hard. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, that is that is no joke. When he was telling me about that last night, I was thinking, okay, you got you got some road rash, you got a broken broken you know broken bone, but. Man, that can heal, but a, a bruised heart is, is that typically a full, fully recover, or you do you have know, some? You, you, uh, I mean, usually you would fully recover from that, absolutely. Especially, I mean, he looks like he's a young guy, so he's he's going to recover. But it, it does just yeah. give a, 
an idea of how hard you, you got to hit something to do that because you know your heart's under a rib cage, right? So you know you, you have a pretty pretty big blunt trauma to cause a contusion. Yeah, for sure. Have you ever have you ever treated a um, an animal related injury at the hospital? Um, no, no, not really. Um, I guess people where they've been bitten by by a bat for rabies um oh. my kids i think i was telling you before my kids have had bee stings so i can treat that but i am not a an animal injury guy <laughs> not, <laughs> okay not, not my specialty <laughs> okay well i'm looking forward to talking to him later on the show so make sure everybody sticks around for that okay let's talk about the stresses and strains on our healthcare system and i'm very grateful to you coming on again to talk about this because what a week this has been and the news that we have seen we've seen about the, the doctors speaking out at surrey memorial we saw pediatric surgery delays and then we saw the, all the cancer patients being sent down to washington state let me play a clip here for you from one of your colleagues dr chris hoag past president medical specialists of bc and you'll hear him talk here about the wait times wait time for cancer care let's listen and i'll get your thoughts we have massive wait times for patients just to get in to see a specialist which is, let's be honest, that's where cancer diagnosis happens. And, and patients are waiting for that. We call that wait one. And then that's before they even get to the wait for the diagnostics, their, their imaging tests or their lab tests that they need or their pathology. And then once the diagnosis is made, now they're waiting for treatment. And, and so this announcement, that, that addresses that final wait for treatment, but it doesn't address all the waits that patients have encountered before they even get to that point. Okay, I thought that was really interesting what he said there that, okay, you know, people are waiting for cancer radiation therapy, so we're sending them to Washington State, but there's lots of wait lists in, in the system right now. Kevin, your thoughts? Yeah, Mike, it's very, very true, right? I mean, it's not just the treatment at the end. You know, how do you even access the system? So if you, if you don't have a family doc, you know, where do you go? I mean, you're not going to emergency to, to say, hey, I have this funny pain. I mean, you're tending to go there for an emergency process. I, I had a person in my office actually recently who couldn't access a family doc came in had a big melanoma that had probably been growing for for months but just didn't really know where to go so you know you, you've got to be able to access the system you then got to see the right specialist to make the diagnosis that takes a while then then that specialist I mean I order all sorts of investigations to figure something out but you know you're waiting months for sometimes scans and and investigations to happen and then I've got to get you in with the oncologist and, and, you know, the oncologist is a specialist who treats cancer, but they're so backlogged. So that used to take a week or two. Now that might take three or four weeks. And then you're waiting for a, a space to get into actual treatment, right? You know, I need a space in the, the chemo unit to get my chemo started and that may get delayed. You know, another big delay in the system is to diagnose cancer. We've got to do a biopsy usually, well, the result of the biopsy used to take a week. Now it takes multiple weeks because there's not enough pathologists. So, you know, there's somebody who actually looks at the tissue they take out to, to determine what kind of cancer it is. So it, it's strained all the way along and, and um, it really, really does impact patient care. You know, I, I saw somebody recently in follow-up who, um, who I'd met actually last August. So August of 2022 with with chest discomfort and you know we put him through some investigations and, and proved that he had pretty significant coronary artery disease or blockages and blood vessels in his heart and he needed a bypass I, I just saw him again recently and he only had his surgery in april 
of this year. So that that diagnosis was made in August and he waited until April to get his bypass. You know, there's risk with that waiting period of time. The wait should have been four weeks, not eight months. Um, you, you know, there's there's cost to the system as well, right? Because when you're waiting, there's a bunch of doctor visits in there trying to keep things as stable as you can. And, um, you know, it, it plugs the system up more trying to string somebody along until they can get to definitive treatment. Um, so, you know, the, good on the government for sending people to, to not delay the, the radiation treatment. But then the, the question I would have, because they've said this is related to, you know, machines that are being upgraded if you know your machine's going to be upgraded, don't you plan for that somehow, right? I mean, if, yeah. if Starbucks is putting in a new a new coffee machine, you know, they, they kind of figure that out so that they don't have to close the store down for a, a few months, right? Yeah, that's what a lot of people are saying is that maybe they should have seen seen this coming. And before we get into a situation like this where we have to send literally thousands of people to Washington State, for for treatment it's the right thing to do though right like instead of having people absolutely. wait yeah absolutely i mean you don't want to make people wait that that's ridiculous but um you know it, it it's also a a topic that i think patients and and the public can really understand right like hey i have a cancer i need radiation treatment there's a delay but the part that the public maybe doesn't really think about is is as chris hogue says who's a colleague of mine at Lionsgate, like is you know, hey, the delay in getting into the specialist, the delay in getting your biopsy back, the delay in getting the imaging, you know, those aren't necessarily kind of headline things. But, you know, what what do we what do we sort of push government to do to fix that part of it? Um, you, you know, obviously, the radiation piece is, is something that people can, again, really understand. Yeah. It looks really bad if people are delayed for that. But all these other delays aren't aren't necessarily getting the attention. Let me ask you about emergency room situations in the province. We saw doctors at Surrey Memorial Hospital this week speak out, uh, describing a, what they say is a crisis at that hospital and emergency care. And a lot of them expressed concern about speaking out. They were afraid of retribution for sounding the alarm on this. I spoke to your colleague, Dr. Chris Hogue, about, about this issue as well earlier this week on the show. And here's how he described the ER at Lionsgate Hospital. Let's listen and I'll get your thoughts. Kudos to our emergency physicians who, who are speaking up. Uh, we, we've seen that what's happening in Surrey and Langley. It's not restricted to those emergency departments. It's across the province. Yeah, and then he described uh, the situation at Lionsgate there as well in that, in, in that interview. What do you think of those doctors speaking out there at Surrey Memorial? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad they're doing that, right? I mean, physicians in general are not... Um, they're not all that political, right? I mean, we're kind of a group that goes and gets our job done. And you don't often see physicians in the news and media. So for for a group of physicians to pull together and, and actually speak out, you know, it, it, it really does behoove the government to listen to that, um, not just to shut them up. Um, I'm not so sure that it's, it's a high level in the government that's trying to muzzle people. That may be more at a mid-level, you know, trying to, control communications and that sort of thing. Um, but but it's a big deal when these guys are speaking out and the emergency departments are very, very busy. Um, and yeah. I feel for government and I feel for the system because it's, it's not, you know, it's not a simple fix, right? Like the volumes have gone up astronomically. Um, you know, when you're constantly running 110% capacity or just way more patients than ever before, 
you know, we, we just we haven't really planned for that well, right? I mean, the population you all see is, has ballooned. Um, it's gotten older. We can just do more, right? I mean, in, in the old days, we didn't tend to do as much in medicine because we didn't have the same treatments, right? But, but now we can do more and more. So people are living longer with more complex system, multi-system disease. And, and then the emergency departments are absolutely plugged up. And it's, it's not uncommon really in any emergency department in the province to have people lined up down hallways. And, and um, that's just not ideal medicine. Do you, do you think that there is pressure on doctors to keep their mouths shut and not talk about this, not sound the alarm? Like we saw these doctors at Surrey Memorial this week actually issue a, a letter anonymously. They set up an anonymous website. I saw an interview with a guy talking, had his voice disguised because he didn't want to be identified and reprimanded. And we've talked a little bit about this in the past. I mean, is there pressure on doctors to be quiet? I mean, the general policy is that a communications department is going to is going to do any of the communications. It's not up to yeah. individual physicians to do that, right? But but I also think we have an ethical and moral obligation to to speak out for our patients. Um, Right you know, especially if nobody yeah. else is doing that, right? I mean, it, right. I, I took an oath to, to look after my patients. And, and, and sometimes that actually does mean, you know, putting your neck out there a little bit. Um, you know, so I, I, th- I think it's, it's the right thing to do as long as it's you know, done in a respectful way. Sure. Um, but, I, you know, I, I do think that that needs to, that needs to happen, so... I agree with you. Kevin, thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it. Mike, anytime. Okay, let's talk about the story now that has flashed around the world. Yeah, it has gone viral. The North Van man who hit a black bear on his bicycle. Man, he got beat up pretty bad by this bear, too. Kevin Milner, fortunately, is in good enough shape to talk to us. Hey, Kevin, thanks a lot for coming on today. Hey, how you guys doing? I'm doing, I'm doing good, Kevin. The bigger question is, how are you doing? How are you feeling today? Uh, all things considering, pretty happy. <laughs> okay, I know you got pretty bashed up pretty bad by this bear. So, Kevin, let's, let's tell the story now that you're going to have to tell the rest of your life here. So, uh, so when, when did this happen? It's on uh, Monday evening, about uh, 8.30, 8.40 p.m. 8.40, okay. And whereabouts were you cycling? Uh, Seymour Demonstration Forest, located in uh, North Vancouver. Right, and you go through there a lot, right? Yeah, very often. And do you see bears in there quite a bit? Uh, yep, mostly deer, but uh, <laughs> occasionally you see a bear, but uh, n- not that often, usually deer. Yeah, and I, I know I saw one interview of, of the many that you've done here where you said, like, you, you often wonder, one of these days I might hit a deer, but you didn't think you'd hit a, a bear. Yeah, I've always been concerned about hitting the deer. My family's always been concerned about me hitting the deer, too. But yeah. uh, the bears you don't see as often. <laughs> okay, man, tell me what happened. How did you hit this bear? So I was uh, after the six-kilometer point and riding down that road. It's uh, mostly all downhill, so I'm picking up some speed. I'm going pretty quick. And uh, I'm coming around the corner just past the seven-kilometer mark and uh, look to my left and... Uh, I'm I'm coming up on a bear really well he's 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 close and so uh he he was across the road like in the grass I guess he was munching on something over there <clears throat> and uh 
I either had to uh, slam on the brakes and park myself right next to him and just scare the heck out of the bear and uh, potentially provoke an attack, or um, I just keep going and in a matter of a second later to be past him, right? Right. And so, um, so I just kept going, and uh, he he looked up at me and he took off across the road right in front of my path. I guess his escape route was to uh, to cross the road and try and go downhill. And yeah. uh, the last thing I saw of him before the accident was just him running, and uh, I saw his all his muscles flexing, and I could see all his fur. And then I just crashed into him like right behind his shoulder blade, almost kissed him. And then uh, I went, I went flying off my bike. I guess I, I launched pretty hard and oh, uh, I must've done a, a flip. And then I, I landed on the road and I was, uh, I was just stuck to the road there for a while. Um, I couldn't really lift up my head or my shoulder or my legs. I couldn't really move very much. Um, I was just kind of pinned there. And then uh, another cyclist came by with someone who was on their way back. He had actually previously filmed the bear when he was on his way out. He, uh, he saw me on the, on the side of the road there in agony and he tried to call an ambulance and uh, then he, he tried to get uh, my phone out of my, my back pocket on my cycling jersey um, so he could try and call him with my phone, but we couldn't get a call out. Yeah. Uh, sh- shortly after, two girls showed up on their road bikes and uh, the, the plan was they were going to try and ride out the eight kilometers and get a signal so that they could get, get me an ambulance. When they were gone... Um, the bear decided to come back. He he came back down the road, and Sam was like, "Hey, the bear's back! The bear's back!" Oh. So I I kind of looked, and I seen the bear down the road, and he was just kind of sniffing at the wind, and looking at us, and just kind of checking us out. And uh, he was just kind of pacing around, like uh, with, like but with his body positioning uh, like toward us. And um, Sam decided to start yelling at him to try and scare him off. And uh, the bear just kind of looked at us like, yeah, like, whatever, like, what's your problem kind of thing. And he just kind of turned around and started eating some grass that was right next to him. He was just munching away on some grass. So now I'm just lying there on the road stuck, and I'm, I'm getting attacked by mosquitoes, and I'm just watching this bear chewing on this grass. And uh, I started feeling my body, just checking out what my injuries were. Yeah. And I noticed that the whole left side of my torso from, like, uh, from my rib cage down to my upper thigh, my stomach, and my entire back was completely numb. Oh. And I was worried that, like, uh, I might have had, like, some internal bleeding, and that's why my my, uh, my whole torso was numb. And uh, I decided to spit on my arm just to see if there was any blood, and there was some blood, so I started to Ooh. panic. And I got a, got a, between the bear coming back and me spitting the blood and the numbness, I get a huge kick of adrenaline, and uh, I noticed that... Uh, that uh, Sam, he had an e-bike there. And so I told him, hey, if I can get up and I can get on an e-bike, can I take that thing out of here, right? Yeah. And he was like, yeah, sure. So I tried to sit up, but I got super dizzy. And my vision started to blur. And I couldn't, like, I was starting to lose my vision. I couldn't really see. And so I had to lay back down. And I was just thinking, oh, man, I'm screwed. Because I'm not going to, I can't get out of here, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, I tried again, tried again to get back up. And Sam helped me get up. And I was able to get up and, uh, he took my cycling cleats off my shoes because I couldn't ride those on this bike. And he, he dropped the seat down and then he helped me. Uh, he helped me. He brought me the bike and kind of helped me put my leg over top. Cause I, I couldn't move my legs. And, uh, I rode out of there with the right hand on the handlebars and, uh, my, my left thumb on the throttle, but my, my left arm was pretty messed up. So it was kind of difficult to keep on the throttle there. But, uh, 
on the way out. And, uh, yeah, that e-bike was fantastic, man. That thing just flies. I couldn't believe that thing. So mm. um, it, it, I actually ended up passing the girls that were on the way out to try and uh, call me in the ambulance. <laughs> I, I couldn't slow down because I couldn't use the brakes. So I ended up just passing them, and uh, I made it out to the shelter, which is just at the beginning there. I just started calling my wife, my my, my family and everything, trying to get them up there to, to, to come get me, you know, because I was yeah. like in pretty bad shape. Oh, my God. That's a unbelievable, Kevin. And so did you go to the, from there to the hospital? Yeah, yeah. Uh, BC Ambulance picked me up. They did a fantastic job. And uh, they took me to Lionsgate Hospital. It was, uh, they were, everyone was really, really wonderful helping me out. Yeah. How long were you? Just in overnight? Yeah, I was just in there for 24 hours. They were just monitoring me, and they kept taking blood samples and stuff, just making sure that uh, just making sure that I didn't have anything really bad going on underlying the CT scan, CAT scan, all that. Yeah. Um, apparently, I had uh, like uh, some elevated heart uh, cardiac enzymes, so which uh, which means I have like this cardiac contusion. It's just uh, I guess it's like a bruised heart. You get like this big shock in your circulatory system when you make an impact like that. A bruised heart, yeah, that can happen when you get a real big slam to your torso, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, then I got this—I uh, got a big fracture in my scapula, which uh, you know sucks. But uh, the whole—the whole left side of my body—it looks like I gained forty pounds overnight. I'm just uh, and my underwear don't fit anymore. My pants don't fit anymore. I can't. I can't. Yeah, I'm just like bulging out the left side of my body right now. Well, just because you're so pretty bad. You're so swollen. Yeah, the inflammation is really bad. Yeah. 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 How many you got you cuts? Yeah, cuts and bruises. Uh, yeah, no, I got the road rash and uh, I got uh, some some pretty bad bruising and uh, oh. the bruising is starting to show up more and more. Oh man! Oh man! I'm yeah, sorry. Dude. I'm sorry. You've got you've gone through this. Thank goodness you survived, man. This was that was what a dangerous situation. <laughs> yeah, definitely glad to be alive on this one. Yeah. 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 What has the doctors told you for in terms of your recovery? Uh, they're saying, well, they're saying the scapula, you know, you need six weeks, but we'll see about that. Yeah. And how, how about this, this heart, this heart bruise here? How, what, what do they say about that? I don't know. Apparently it just, your body just recovers. It just absorbs it or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So they've told you, yeah. you expect full recovery. Uh, we'll see. We'll see about my back and stuff. I, I can't, oh. it's so, it's so swollen. I can't really feel, uh, I can't really tell what's going on back there. Yeah, you got some. You got a lot of pain going on still. Uh, it's just pain with breathing and uh, sitting. I can't sit down. I sit. I get up by myself and uh, I get oh, stuck. Man. So if I sit there, if I sit down, if I get help to sit down for like five minutes, I get stuck in that position. I need someone to pull me out of it. Oh my God, Kevin, that's brutal. Speaking yeah. to Kevin Milner, he's the North Van cyclist who hit a bear. Like I was listening very carefully your, your description of the collision there. It sounds like like you had no. This bear just darted right in front of you. You had no chance to stop. Oh, that bear's got a lot of power, man. He he accelerated like uh, like you wouldn't believe. He he took off. He he yeah. He just had an incredible amount of power. He really accelerated. Yeah. Yeah, and it sounds like you you hit him like square on. Like this was a full on oh, hit. Yeah, yeah, I nailed him. Yeah, and I was going to a good clip too. And I, yeah, there was no give. It felt like I was hitting hit a wall. I got I got ejected basically from my bike. Oh, oh man! And then the bear. It sounds like the bear wasn't any worse for wear though. No, he's a bear. You know, bears they got a bone density. It's unlike ours. You know, like they're they're beasts. You know, I'm sure he's fine. 
Yeah, how are you? How are you doing? Like, I know you've got you got your wife, you got your family. I know you're getting a lot of support. I know you're getting a lot of help here, right? How are you? How are you bearing up like mentally over since this thing? That was pretty brutal. Oh, I'm just uh, just trying to fix my bike. To... <laughs> <laughs> how badly damaged was your bike? Uh well, the wheel on the front's toast, but uh, I, I I cracked the carbon in the pedal. I guess when I disengaged, it snapped the snapped the pedal. Yeah. Um. But other than that, it's just hard to tell right now because I can't take the thing apart. Yeah. But uh, it looks like my fork uh, going into the frame is rubbing somehow. I'm not really sure if the frame's going to be okay. We'll see. I, I have, to, I have to get someone to send it in to take a look at it. I'm not sure. I know you're an avid cyclist. Will you be willing to get back on the bike and go cycling through there again? Uh, I, I might try and avoid that area just because... <laughs> uh, just because uh, you know, there's been some history in that area with uh, some bad accidents and yeah. uh, that, that that are close to home. And also uh, just this accident adding to it. You know, it's, uh, it, it, is, uh, it is a pretty dangerous place to ride. There's a lot of blind corners there. And, yeah. uh, you know, I go, I go in the morning and evening to avoid people. And uh, I've been successful at avoiding everybody except for the bear. So, I mean, that's kind of hard to avoid, right? <laughs> Kevin, thank you for sharing the story today. I'm I'm glad you're uh, you're on the mend, and I really I'm grateful to you for taking the time to talk to us and our audience here because I know every reporter in the world's looking to talk to you. Yeah. So thanks no for coming on, man. He gave me, me lots of time off. So. Oh, good. That's good. Okay. Okay. All the best in your recovery. Okay. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.